You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Nathan Peternell. Well, good morning, Life Church. Merry Christmas. You guys look great. How many of you, um, you like the joy that follows Christmas? Just like it's, it's one of your favorite times of year. How many favorite time of year type person? Okay, good. I am, I am a very joyful person. I am a, uh, always the cup is, is, is half full, not half empty. I'm not pessimistic. I always want to see uh, things on, on the brighter side of things. But I have, I have a problem. See, I'm also a very intense person. If you've, if you've gotten to know me, you've been here for any length of time. By the way, I'm Pastor Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm an intense person, and, um, and, and, and I'm very passionate, um, which doesn't always express itself in the best way. So this is my kind of a dis- dis- disclaimer. You see that we've got photographers. My wife is over here. She's taking pictures. Here's Pete. He's taking pictures. And pretty much they have to throw away every picture that they take of me each week because I have a problem called angry eyebrows, right? <laughs> I, I've had this problem, uh, I think, all my life, and, and I'm just very expressive, but it doesn't, it doesn't look good. It doesn't. In fact, I've had my staff ask me, Pastor Nathan, are you mad? And I said, no, I'm just passionate. And they said, you look mad. Can you tell it to your face? Because you look mad. <laughs> I've, I, I, I have recently thought about just getting Botox so the top of my head doesn't move so that I can come off nicer to people. But, you know, I saw, how many like reels? You like reels? Uh, anybody, everybody spend too much time watching reels? You're like, how, how did 20 minutes just go by? How did this happen to me? But I saw a good one, and I realized that I am not alone in, in, uh, in intensity. Some of us just have this problem. Uh, how many of uh, you ever watched uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, and you know the voice of Aslan, Liam Neeson? Okay, watch this, watch this. Okay, Mr. Neeson, whenever you're ready. I see you when you're sleeping. I know when you're awake. Okay, that, that's good. Let's try it again, maybe a little more jolly. Think Santa. I see you when you're sleeping. I know when you're awake. I watch you when you're sleeping. Oh yeah. I know when you're awake. I know. I'm making a list and checking it twice. I'm going to find out who's naughty or nice. Okay, I, I think maybe that's a little too intimidating. Yeah, but I... Uh, if you don't mind me saying, I think it's right. You know, do you understand what Santa's saying here? It's, he's making a list, naughty, nice, he's detailed, he's single-minded. He's an eye in the sky bringing swift judgment. Okay, but, but he's also bringing toys to children. Not the naughty ones. 
And let me tell you something about that reindeer that ran over Grandma. I will look for him. I will find him. And I will kill him. It's Christmas time. It's joyful, right? And uh, today is a very special day. It's a day we're not, uh, you know, we don't apologize about preaching the Christmas message. Uh, we kind of change everything around Christmas season to, to go tell the message that has been told for over 2,000 years. And uh, we will say it without apology. It's uh, the day that we receive um, as, as an a whole church, all of our locations, those who are watching online, you'll be able to participate in this too. And it is the day that we believe that God's going to do a miracle. It's not for us that he's going to do a miracle. It's for those he loves somewhere else in the world, right? So, and, and, and we just get excited to do it. So I'll talk to you a little bit about that in a little bit. We're one of 13 churches. Thir we actually have 13 partner churches. Um, most of them are in Indiana, but some of them, like I, I think one's in uh, Atlanta. We have one in Texas. We have one in Illinois. But we come together. All of their congregations are receiving offerings around a lot of the very same projects we're doing so we could do something far bigger together than we could ever do on our own. Isn't that exciting? And so we call this series The Gift of Hope, and that's our theme for this, this month, and um, you'll get to hear more about that, but we've been looking at a portion of Scripture from Romans chapter 10, and it just starts in verse 9. We've been reading it most every week, and, um, and I, I want you to once again consider this passage and what it means for our lives as Christians. Here you go. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is one of the New Testament's most poignant passages for three reasons. It's simple, it's universal, and it's direct. Look at this. I love this passage because look at the simplicity of the form. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. If you believe in your heart that he's raised from the dead then you'll be saved. There's no church membership form. There's no growth track. There's no freedom group, not even baptism. Now, I'm not telling you that we don't want all of you to do those things. It's just that you don't have to do those things in order to be saved. Here's how you're saved. You believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead. You confess with your mouth that he is Lord. And those are the requirements to be saved. So, you put your hope in what is really a simple gospel. He's Lord, period. Another reason I love this passage is really because it's so revolutionary for the time and the setting when Paul says this. The gospel 
he is saying is universally available. In verse 11, he says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. He goes on to say that there's no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. And that Jesus is Lord over all. And that was huge. It's still huge today. Paul was living in a day and age where there were many Jews that were still trying to argue that the gospel was only for people who were born ethnic Jews and who followed the law. Many of Paul's contemporaries were, uh, they were, they were, didn't want to let the Gentiles in. The people who were outside Jewish ethnicity, they didn't want to let them in. But Paul is actually making it abundantly clear to everybody that the gospel is for everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Doesn't matter what your background is. Doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. Doesn't matter what country you were born in. Doesn't matter as long as you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And the final reason I love this passage is because it is a clear logic and a direct mandate of a great commission. In case you're new here at Life Church, the Great Commission is very important to the people of this church because Jesus directly gave it to us. What is the Great Commission? Some people don't know that phrase. In Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20, Jesus says, Go! Everybody say, Go! Go! Go therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is our mission. This is our mandate here at Life Church to take the good news to the nations. So in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, what is he saying? Paul says that the gospel or the good news is universally available. He says, how though are people going to know Jesus if they don't believe in Him? How are they going to be able to believe in Him if they haven't heard of Him? How are they going to hear if somebody doesn't go and tell them? And how will that person go and preach the gospel if they're not sent? And then he quotes that beautiful old verse from the Old Testament, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I want you to think about it like this. Imagine that you and your family are going to start a restaurant here in town, and you believe it's just going to have the best food in town. You want to get as many people to know about it as possible, to come taste your food. How are you going to do that? You have a dilemma. You might have the best food in the world, but if nobody knows about what you have, nobody's going to come. You've got to get the word out. You've got to figure out how you're going to do that. It's pretty simple. Somebody or some means has to tell them so that everybody can taste for themselves. Now, I just want to ask a very important question today. How many of you like wings? Anybody? Wings people, right? Okay. I, I love wings. I am known by my staff. I attack two things of food. If it's salsa and chips or it's wings, I suck all the meat and cartilage off the bones. It's actually not a pretty sight. And I found out that there's this place in Lapel, and it's called Smokey's Concession Stand. It sounds small, but it's this really great restaurant. And, and uh, I, I just, I love wings. And I love sauce. And I don't care who knows it. <laughs> when I'm done eating, I want to 
lick all the sauce up on my finger. I don't care. And uh, so Pastor Ross actually told me about this. He and Kelsey were going through premarital counseling, and he said, okay, can we meet there at, at Smokey's? And I'm like, yes, we can. <laughs> and, and so I got my appetizer full of wings, and I, I, when I was done inhaling that food, because here's the deal. They're not just like food that you take out of a bag and then you put it in an oven and then you put sauce on it. No, these are smoked wings. Every bite. How many want to go to Smokey's after church with me? Okay, and listen, could you imagine if I came out and I just said, you know what, those are the best wings I ever had, and I don't want anyone to know about this place because then I'll have a hard time getting a table. I want to keep this to myself. That would be selfish of me. But no, I think about it and I go, hey, do you want to go out to eat? Have you considered Smokey's? Like, let's go over there. I want you to taste and see it for yourself. I want you to agree with me that it's phenomenal. In fact, today, somebody was so nice, sent me a Christmas present, $50 to Smokey's. I'm so happy right now. <laughs> Paul is saying that that's what the gospel's like. The gospel is, it's for everyone. Everyone needs to know it's that good. And how are they going to know if they can't hear about it? And how can they hear about it if nobody goes out and tells them? We have to send people out to tell them. And I love this verse in Psalm 34, verse 8. It says, it's, it's this beautiful little verse. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Paul wants everyone to be able to taste for themselves, to see how good the story is, and to know how good Jesus is. Speaking of food, we're going to be doing something new here in January. January 22nd, it's a Monday night. It's going to go for nine weeks. It's something called Alpha. How many have ever heard of Alpha? Okay, uh, many of you. Okay, good. We need, we need table leaders for Alpha. Alpha is incredible. It, it revolves around food. So we cook meals for people. We ask them to come for nine weeks. It's for people that want to kick the tires and ask tough questions about Christianity. Um, we have a lot of people in our world today that are deconstructing their faith. They're, they've grown up in the church, and now they're determining they don't believe. But do you know what? We've got a lot of people out there. They've never even gotten a chance to really hear the message to begin with. And this is designed around evangelism. In fact, uh, Travis and Michelle, is Travis here? Where's, where's Travis at? Travis, stand up on your feet, man. Uh, he and his wife are going to be leading this. Let's just give them a big hand. Um, and they need leaders. If you've done Alpha before, I want you to go talk to him. And if you know anybody, I imagine going to your friends and saying, hey, have you ever really looked into Christianity? No, nah, I don't want to go. I, mean, I, I wouldn't even know what to do in church. And da, 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 da. Hey, this is for them. And, and, and God is going to use this in an amazing way. There's no questions that are off limits. You can come and explore and discover the validity of the significance of Christ and the Christian faith for themselves. Let them see. We'll feed them, and then we'll just be friendly with them, and let's see what the Lord does. They just need to hear. Amen? So that's going to be happening. You could go, if, if, if anybody is interested in that, go out to, to meet Travis and Michelle out near the Welcome Center and get more information on that because people need to taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, we fulfill the Great Commission when we take that, those first words that Jesus says, Go! Go and send others and tell the story of Jesus 
It's really the greatest story that's ever been told. So jump into that story. We've been in this passage, and I don't know if I ever told you this, but this was the, as far as I remember, this is the first passage of Scripture that I ever memorized in my life. I think I was in second grade. But think about the simplicity of the gospel and the depth of what, of what Luke is trying to communicate to us about what we are to do as believers. Check this out. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping walk over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. They were praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I want you to focus today on 12 words. Good news of great joy that will be for all people. In fact, we could probably break that down to just six words. Good news, great joy, all people. Look at the word for good news. The root word in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, good news, is euangelion. And this word euangelion throughout the New Testament is the word that gets translated as good news or gospel. And I'm, I'm, I'm not wanting to stare back in Pastor Ray's direction because he's, he's really good at Greek and I think I just butchered how that's said. But, but yes, I, he, I did butcher it. I don't care. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. <laughs> but let, let's just talk about the word. How do you say it? Pastor Ray. Evangel. You're just saying evangel? No, no, no. I know that's what it means. How do you say it in Greek? Euangelion. Sort of? All right, just go with me, okay? I didn't take Greek. I took Hebrew. All right, anyway, the word... You, now, I'm, now I'm scared to say it. Euangelion, it, it really couldn't be separated from its, its uh, New Testament context. That night... When the angel says that word, the question is, what did the shepherds hear? The classical Greek form of that word, before the influence of the New Testament, it, it actually meant an announcement or an appearance or an ascension to the throne of a ruler. The word was actually not lighthearted in any way. It was a weighty word. It was a word that meant the official authoritative royal announcement was forthcoming so prior to the new testament that word actually didn't mean good news it just meant important weighty royal news so if you're in the word studies don't miss this because jesus takes that word and he puts the good in good news that word didn't mean good news but like jesus does with all things he makes everything good amen so as a matter of fact, this word often meant bad news. It was authoritative announcement of impending judgment typically used. It would have been like, hear ye, hear ye, for the town the emperor's coming tomorrow and heads are going to roll. And sometimes, literally, heads did roll when this word was used. So I want you to imagine the scene with me. There's shepherds, they see the angel appear, 
and they are obviously terrified, and you would be too. We all know that they're terrified because the angel leads with telling them, no, don't be afraid. And then the angel tells them he has news for them, and they're immediately thinking to themselves, is it bad news? Is the emperor coming to town? Are heads going to roll? And our minds, I don't know about you, how many of your minds work a little faster as people are talking, you're starting to think ahead even before they finish their sin? You're starting to jump to conclusions, and their heads are probably jumping too. And, and then they're thinking about this, news of what? News of our arrest, news of someone's death, news of our judgment, news of what? And he continues and he says, news of great joy. The word Meglin Haran means great joy, or we would even be able to say mega joy, uber joy. And immediately there had to be in their hearts like this sigh of relief. Oh, the news wasn't bad at all. It's news of mega joy. This word, hara, it means inner gladness, delight, and rejoicing. And Donald Campbell, he writes about this particular word. He says, a deep and abiding inner rejoicing. That which promised to those who abide in Christ, it doesn't depend on the circumstances because it rests in God's sovereign control of all things. And this isn't, this joy is not happiness. Happiness is nice, but happiness is a feeling. Happiness often is tied to circumstances of whether those circumstances are good or bad. Joy, however, is deeper than happiness because it's not a feeling, it's an emotion. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he writes about this particular word joy, and he says, joy is something that is very deep and profound. It's something that affects the whole and the entire personality. In other words, it comes to this. There is only one thing that can give true joy, and that's contemplation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He satisfies our minds. He satisfies our emotions. He satisfies our every desire. He and his great salvation include the whole personality, nothing less, and in him I am complete. Joy, in other words, is the response to the reaction of the soul to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the angel is announcing good news, great joy, and it's soul-soothing joy, heart-satisfying joy, joy that fills us up with meaningful and in an immeasurable way. It fills us, and the shepherds, they had to feel so special to be the ones to receive this news. There's something inside of all of us I think that wants to have inside information, don't we? It's like we love to be the first to know. Even though we might be horrible at keeping secrets, we like to have secrets. And the angel immediately tells the shepherds that this particular news, this mega joy, isn't just for them. They are not to keep this a secret. It's not even just for their homes or their towns or their language or their country. It's good news of great joy for all people. And right there, the great Christmas story turns into the great commission story. 
This isn't good news of great joy for Bethlehem. This isn't good news of great joy for one language group. It's not good news of great joy for Israel. It's not good news of great joy for the shepherds to hold on to. From the beginning, from the first declaration of Jesus' arrival on the earth, it was meant to be shared. And we all, every Christian, has a responsibility to share that story of the good news of great joy with the people that are around us, with our, with our families, with our towns, at our tables. Life Church, we are going to take that good news of great joy to far-off places. This year, in our Christmas Miracle Gift, we're partnering with the Stone Table. Now, last week you got to see the president of Stone Table, Eric Cooper. He's a friend of mine. They, they have a business, and every year they want to give half of all of their proceeds away. They, they take the other half, invest it back into the business, but then they, just, they, they are in business to do missions work in the world. And so they say, this is how the stone table got started. They say, look, if you pastors will go and tell the people what we want to do, we'll match what your people give up to a certain amount. And so we started with that partnership, and we've been in partnership with them for years. And then we went to the Asia-Pacific region of the Assemblies of God. Just so you understand, the Assemblies of God wants to reach the world with Jesus. And so they split the world up into six regions, and we have given to Africa, we've given to the Middle East, we've given to Israel, we've given to China, we've given to India, and this year we are taking it to Asia Pacific. So we started talking with them. We met with the 13 other churches that are joining us today to say, Where, what can we do to places that you and I might never really get an opportunity to go there? We started asking the leadership of the Asia-Pacific region of the Assemblies of God. We, we said, what would be strategic for you? What, what projects would you like to do? A lot of times churches come in and they try to force their heart on, on missionaries rather than just saying, what do you need? And then let us figure out how we can help you see that thing happen. And so we began to look into 18 strategic progress, uh, projects that began to emerge in in really five distinct categories. Those categories are for the Buddhists and the Hindus to come to know the Lord. How many, anybody have some, some Buddhist or Hindu friends that don't know the Lord? We need to get some Buddhists and Hindu friends. Amen? They need Jesus. We can't just walk around and not talk to them about the very emptiness of their heart. And, and we have to have a heart for those that are locked in false religion. We want to do something that's called business as missions. One of the greatest ways we get our missionaries into countries is we disguise them as businessmen and businesswomen. They start coffee shops. They start CrossFit gyms. They start anything, anything that we can do that gets them in the country and gets them a visa. It's the perfect cover for a missionary. Micah, do you know what they used to do with missionary, or with, with uh, back in the 50s? Actually, in the 50s, we, we would... Our... I'm not that old. I don't, I don't understand. No, I think you would... <laughs> I think you would like this. Do you know that a lot of our missionaries were actually CIA? Uh, they were involved in the CIA, right? We, we have to get our missionaries into closed countries. 
but we use business as missions to do that. One of the things it does is it, it helps, it just helps those normal relationships of doing business with one another, and it also helps that missionary not have to raise as much in support because they have a, they have a business that's keeping them, keeping them on, that, on that land, keeping them going. We look at church planting because if we're not planting churches, then we're not doing our job as missionaries. We have to keep planting churches. We have, um, we have 240 churches in the Assemblies of God here in Indiana. We have 6.1 million people in Indiana. We have 240 churches in Japan. In the size of California, they have 127 million people. 240 churches is not enough. We have to always be planting churches. The other thing that we're very into is training initiatives. We want to make sure that those that are coming to Christ are being discipled and then they're being sent out. We are into compassion because we believe that sex slavery ought to be met with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It needs to be stopped. You have to come in with compassion. And so we, we reach down into those kind of ministries. And then we believe in campus ministries. We have to be on the universities. Because when you are locked in all these religions that have been here for thousands and thousands of years, it's actually the university students on those campuses that are thinking differently. And that is a strategic place for us. Here in the United States, we have, we have something, the same thing it's called over there, but it's called Chi Alpha. When you hear us talk about Chi Alpha, it's be, and we have them all over Indiana in our schools, where our young people can go there. And as the nation send their people to us, we want to see them saved, discipled. They already know the language and the culture, and they're probably going back to their own country. What a way to implant Christians in, in, in places that don't know the Lord. Those are, those are where we're focusing. And obviously, with 18 projects, I don't have time to tell you all those stories. I really wish I could because they are amazing. But I am going to tell you just a couple stories here of the projects that are representative of what we're wanting to do in these 18 projects. They're in eight countries, and, and that we're just kind of zeroing in on this year. The first one I want to tell you about is what's going on in the Chi Alpha Ministry Center in the University of Tokyo. When you think of Japan, I don't know what you think of. I got the chance to go to Japan back in, um, in, in September. Maybe you think of sushi and ramen and anime, and you think of sumo wrestling and samurai swords. But in context of this offering, I want you to think about 127 million people in Japan. 37 million people in the city of Tokyo. If you've been to New York and you think that's big, it's tiny by comparison. I got to go up inside a tower and I got to look as far as my eye could see and all I could see was city. Go to the other side of the tower, look out as far as I can see, it's just city. City, 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 everywhere I looked. And here's the statistic that we know about Japan. Less than 1%, 0.75%, of the Japanese know Jesus. That means of all those 137 million, more than 99 out of every 100 are going to hell because they don't know Christ. I got to the top, I looked out, and something hit my heart, and I just saw the lostness. Yes, they have technology, and yes, they have wealth, but they 
are broken people who need Jesus. They, have, they worship eight million gods in Japan of all of the unreached people groups in the world. And, and let me explain that term so you understand. Every, every uh, people group, and you could have a nation that has many different people groups, until we have 2% of that people group that are evangelical Christians, then those people are what we call unreached people. We have 6,700 unreached people groups in the world today, and Japan is the second largest group of unreached people in the world. We visited one of the main Buddhist and Shinto temples in Tokyo. Let me, let me, let me show you a video of this. It's a crowded center with everything from coffee shops to gift shops, but at the center of the temple where people come to pray, if you were to go in and want to get an answer to your prayer, you pay 100 yen, which is about 67 cents in the current exchange rate. And here's what you do. You walk up to this little kiosk and you deposit your offering and then you shake a little metal can that has a hole in it and then there's this little stick that comes out and it has a number that's associated with it. And then you go over to this drawer and you're supposed to open that drawer and then you get the answer to your prayer. And here's the crazy part. If you don't like the answer to your prayer, you could just try again. All you have to do is tie your little paper in a little bow around the wire and then start all over again. And you can light a, a candle to draw the attentions of the gods to your prayer and you, you get in the incense and you wave it over yourself at one of the nearby altars. And, and in Buddhism, the incense is known as the divine odor because you want, if you believe this stuff, you want the gods to pay attention to you. They're made of wood and metal and stone. It's a dark place. But there's a light that's come into Tokyo. The same light that was announced by those shepherds that night, the same good news that came from the, the shepherds came to you and to me is coming to the people of Japan. And we have a university ministry that is critical in Japan. There are like 400 and some universities. We're only on 20, as I understand it, just 20 of the universities. But their top university, where the greatest leaders will come from, they come through the University of Tokyo. And, and this ministry that we have there is unbelievably important. Do you know 51% of all the people that get baptized in Japan get baptized between the ages of 20 and 24 years old? It means that's the best time that we have to be able to reach them. And we are reaching them. We have several, we met several students with different backgrounds who have found Jesus Christ. They've gone to the Kai Alpha at the, at the University of Tokyo, and students are coming to know the Lord at our, in our ministry center. But here's the thing. We just received news that the city is going to be demolishing our, city set, our, 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 our ministry center. They're widening the road. They're going to give us dimes on a dollar, and there's nothing we could do about it. And to say that this is a problem, it's a huge problem. We could say that the future of Japan is at stake. Instead of students going to that temple, though, we need them to go to the ministry center in Tokyo. And so it's an expensive proposition to keep our foot in the door in that city. Micah, don't, don't your, your family were missionaries to Japan. We need to keep the light 
in Tokyo so that they'll knew that they need to know the good news of great joy that's for all people. One of the major other projects that we have is in Mongolia. So while we talk about Tokyo as the largest city in the world, Mongolia is one of the most rural places on the planet. We have a team there that's reaching out in one of the most difficult and inhospitable places in the world. And we are endeavoring, we're trying to build a ministry center, a community center, and get this, this is the distance to the nearest church. It's a thousand miles to the nearest church. No one for hundreds of miles in any, di- in any direction has ever even heard the name of Jesus. One of the ladies that's on our team there, she has a remarkable story of how God called her to Mongolia. When she was just a teenager, she began to pray about being a missionary. And she believed that God had laid a place on her heart. And so she even drew a picture of that place that she felt in the prophetic that the Lord was saying to her. She drew this thing in her journal, and it was kind of like the simple outline of a map. And as any teenager would do, she excitedly began looking through world maps, trying to discover what country it was that God was calling her to, and nothing matched. So she had a heart for Mongolia. She didn't know why she had a heart for Mongolia, but she she went and looked at a map of Mongolia, and, and she looked at the sketch in her book, and she didn't see anything that looked like Mongolia, but she kept looking. And she never did find a country that looked like that outline that she had drawn in her journal that day, but then one day God began to speak to her again about the mission field, and she learned about a province in Mongolia where the good news of great joy, which shall be for all people, has never been shared. The province was called Atai. And so she began to research this place, and as she was researching the province, which is one of the most remote places on earth, she discovered the outline that Atai province was nearly identical with the outline that she had drawn in her journal several years earlier when God had called her into missions. Early this year, Boggy, another member of our team in Mongolia, began a relationship with a woman named Bolga, who's a young lady who ran a coffee shop in a little town where uh, our team happens to live. And our team hangs out at that place a lot because they describe it as the only real espresso machine. They have the only real espresso machine in the entire province. And, and I guess they have cake with actual frosting. Listen, missions, you have to give up some things. And, and so they love hanging out at this place. They hang out there a lot. And so they were inviting Bolga to come to a Bible study. And after several weeks of studying the Bible with her, our team then asked her, Bolga, do you want to receive Jesus into your heart? And you know what she did? She became the first believer in the history of her family that can be traced back for hundreds of years. And one of the first believers ever in that entire province. Speaking of hundreds of years, Bulga immediately began to express to our team that her grandmother was 103 years old and didn't, she didn't know Jesus and she was currently very, very ill. Her grandmother was the oldest woman, oldest person in, in the entire province of Goviatai. And so the team the next morning goes, we're going there. So they drive five hours through dangerous mountain passes to get to Bulga's ancestral home. And there, her grandmother, who had not been conscious for several days, 
When Bulga and the team walks in, they find her awake. She recognizes Bulga, and she's excited to see her. And the team then asks Bulga's father and says, hey, would it be okay if we talk to her about our Christian faith and about the Jesus and, uh, that, 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 that we know? And then just to pray for her? And he goes, it's okay, you can do it. But you're going to have to speak up because she's really, really hard of hearing. So loud enough for the entire house to hear, our team starts sharing the basics of the good news of great joy for all people. Jared, who's our team leader, he felt led to share. And so he leans down and he's practically yelling at everybody, you're at her so that everybody can hear. She's like, in the Bible, there's a story of an old man named Simeon who waited his whole life every day in the temple because he was promised that he wouldn't die before he got to meet Jesus. And he would get to see God's salvation. Grandma! God has kept you alive for 103 years so that you can hear of his salvation today. Grandma, do you want to receive this Jesus today that your granddaughter has received? And she nodded her head. And our team prayed with her and sang with her. And Grandma, who waited 103 years to see God's salvation, came to Jesus Christ. She had waited in that place since 1919 and never traveled more than a few miles from where she lived. In any direction, Grandma accepted Jesus into her heart until that morning when she first heard his name. And about a week later, she died. And she's with Jesus today. 103, right? Praise God. Can you imagine that for 103 years, Jesus' name was never spoken? For 103 years, never running into another Christian? And how many other grandmas are in need just like that lady? How many other? I walked through the busiest intersection in Tokyo that every day across this crosswalk, one million people go across this crosswalk. How many young people in Tokyo need to? hear the name of Jesus. What about in the villages of Vietnam? What about, what about them? Do they need to hear the gospel? We've had a war there, but I'm telling you the Prince of Peace can bring so much more. What about the massive cities of Indonesia? How many need to hear? What about the orphanages of Cambodia? How many need to hear his name? And how will they hear unless somebody tells them? And how will they be able to be told unless somebody goes and preaches? And how can they do that unless they're sent? And that's why we here at Life Church have to send them. Because our team has beautiful feet. And when we send them, we have beautiful feet. They need to bring the good news of great joy for all people. We need to build that community center in Gabiotai to give them a place to minister to the kids and the teens that are learning about Jesus. We, we need to see the group of believers grow in that area. That community center is going to end up as a church facility being used so they can worship together. We need to help Chi Alpha Campus in the center of Tokyo. We need to do that community center in Gobiatai. But listen, what about in Cambodia? In Vietnam, what happened in Vietnam spilled over. How many have ever heard of the killing fields of Cambodia? Do you know, I was told 
that there's almost no one my age, male or female, in Cambodia because an entire generation of fathers and mothers has been wiped out. And now, as the new generations are having kids, they don't know how to father them, and you have utter fatherlessness, motherlessness that's going on in Cambodia. Do you see why that orphanage is so important? And an Indiana missionary who's given 30 years of his life, has pl he's planted himself there, and the Chinese the Chinese are all over the world right now trying to, to put investments, and they're, 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 they're using the investments to twist arms. And they went into this area right to our, to our Rise of Children's home, and then they said, we're going to turn this into a casino. They took the land, turned it into a casino. They kicked all of our orphans out for 30 years of ministry been going, going on there. But you know what? We have to respond to something like that. When wickedness rises up, the church rises up greater. Amen. So we bought land, put a wall around it. We're building an incredible facility there. But we still have to take care of those orphans in the meantime. And I believe those orphans are going to become the leaders of Cambodia. And we're going to restore that mother and that father's heart into their culture. But we're going to do it through the blood of Jesus Christ. For $799, we could provide clothing and food, taking care of those orphans for an entire year. You try to take care of one of your kids for 800 bucks a year. Let me show you. Picture's worth a thousand words. How about a video? Let me show you our orphanage. Some people say, Pastor Nathan, we have so many things that need to be done right here in our own backyard. Why are we worried about that? If we wait until we fix everything in America, we'll never do anything for the rest of the world. It's not this or that. It's this and that. We have people here in America that are unchurched. They don't know very much about church, but they're not unreached. We've got churches all over the place. If people want to know about Jesus, they can know about Jesus here, but not in the rest of the world. There they don't even have access to hear the message. We've got to have a big heart for over there and keep doing what God's called us to do right here in our town. We need to care about the Muslims in Indonesia. 
We need 100 new campus ministries to be launched. Those are $1,000 a piece. We, want, we need to build five new college dormitories in Papua New Guinea. Those are $35,000 a piece. I had a friend who, he's one of the other churches. There's a man who's a, who owns a garbage business, and he, he got that, that desire. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build one of those. For $1,080, we can provide support for a church planner in Vietnam that for two years, while they can get those churches up and going, we have 42 church planners right now that are waiting for that support. We could have 42 more churches in Vietnam. We have to help families to build out these, these little, they're called micro-businesses, and for $150, we can do that for a family in the Philippines. And it takes five months of training and mentoring and it gives them the capital to get started. But you could change an entire family's financial future by, by, by giving $150. And we have 300 families that are waiting for that funding. Here at Life Church, we care about sex slavery and putting an end to that scourge. We are involved with Project Rescue. We have two new Project Rescue projects that are going on, one in the Philippines, one in Indonesia. For $3,500, you could take a a person's life and they'll never have to go back to that old life because we're going to give them food and clothing, medical care, vocational training, a roof over their head, discipleship, change a life. And the total need for the projects this year, all of these 14 churches all together, the stone table together. We have to, we have to see over $2.5 million come in to be able to do that. And that's more than anything we've ever tackled before. How many know we have a great big giant God who has a whole lot of his people who want to take the good news of great joy to all people? And whatever we give today to the far portion, when Pastor Micah explained it, we have three parts here at Life Church. We have the here, the near, and the far. The here takes care of when we give to the here. That's our benevolence here at Life Church. Uh, you have somebody here at your campus who's going through cancer. He's, he goes to chemotherapy, but he's missing work because he's sick. And he can't, can't make ends meet. And he called us up and he said, is there anything that the church could do? Do you know what? We could, we could, we were ready to say, yes, of course we can help you. Because you're generous and you care about your family here at Life Church. That's the that's the here, that's the benevolence, reaching out in love when somebody has a need. He said when he got that text that said we were gonna help, he burst into tears, he goes and shows it to his mother, and she burst into tears. Because it's love. And then we give it's here near, and we talk about Dr. Benoit and Dr. Sue who are trying to help people get access to health care because a lot of people don't have health care and they're doing it in, a, in, a, in an affordable way and they're not just, they don't have to just stop by talking about medicine and what people need. No, they're, they're able to pray for people, to share the love of Jesus Christ in that, that mobile unit that we have. That they're, they're, they're doctors and going, hey, I want to just reach out and touch people and they're walking away from lucrative jobs in order to serve because they believe in the message of Jesus Christ. They're doing that. So when you give to, the, to, to, to this, it's going to do a lot of good in the world. But when we give the far, 
When we give to Cambodia and to Tokyo and, 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 and to Mongolia, every dollar you give is going to be doubled because it's going to be matched to up to a million dollars by the stone table, this group of business people. And so I want to ask you, when you give $100 today, you're given $200. When you give $500, you're given $1,000. When you give $5,000, you're given $10,000. And it's not for us. It's for Jesus. The Bible says that when you give a cup of cold water in his name, he didn't do it unto this person or this person, this person. He says, you did it for me. When we get to heaven, we're going to say, Lord, when did I, when did I visit you? When did I, when did I come and see you when you were sick? When did I do that? When you did it unto the least of these, my brother, you did it unto me. There's so many ways to give. I want to just put up this. I just want you really to just take a moment with the Lord. I don't want to twist anyone's arm. You should never give anything out of compulsion. You should only give out of love. This isn't taxes. Nobody's forcing you to do anything. But right now, I believe that a lot of your hearts right now, the Holy Spirit is just talking to you. I had... I have a friend who's like a mentor in my life. He comes to this campus and he said, you know, at Christmas time, I think we ought to do for Jesus. Whatever we're going to do for our family, I think we ought to try to do that for Jesus. And I took that as a challenge this year. And I, I determined I'm not going to spend more on my family than I'm going to spend on Jesus. It's his birthday after all. I just want to challenge you. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? Just ask the Holy Spirit this question. Micah talked about the prophetic conferences, learning how to hear the Lord. Just ask him, Lord, what would you have me to do? Maybe grab the hand of your, your spouse right now. Chrissy and I are giving. Micah told me he's giving. My mom's told me she's giving. In fact, I asked, the, I asked our staff and I asked the board if they would, and, and, and some who have already given this morning, they couldn't wait to give, they've already given, and, and already over $30,000 has come in. And I don't even know what's happening at the other campuses right now as all the people of Life Church are coming together to ask this question. But I believe that we can do what God's called us to do. My big, hairy, audacious goal is $200,000. Lord, would you help us raise that? And along with all these other churches, we're going to be able to get these jobs done for Jesus. And you might have a pang of fear in your heart right now. But I want to tell you something. I'm going to say the same thing to you that the angels said to the shepherds. Don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Up on the screen, it's going to be different ways you can give. Probably the easiest is just text that number. Text CMG to that number. We're going to ask our ushers to come, and we're just going to sit in the presence of God, let him do, and then we're going to see what the Lord does. Amen? I want to tell you this. I'm excited to see what God is going to do through you, and I also want to say this. Merry Christmas. Well done, Life Church. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.